I find this scientifically fascinating. You're listening to KUCI Irvine. Disengage this computer now. Broadcasting at 88.9 FM. Hello, computer. And on the web at KUCI.org. The most reliable computer ever made. And streaming through iTunes. Don't expect any mercy during the Great Robot Wars. Anteater Radio brought to you by machines. Returning to normal broadcast in 3, 2, 1. Hey, everybody. This is Kevin Bossenmeyer with UCI Conversations, and my guest today is UCI Associate Professor of Public Health, Dr. Andrew Neumer. He is a population health scientist whose focus is on infectious disease. Dr. Neumer's research straddles the biological and social domains to give a clear understanding of pandemic patterns, which we're hearing a lot about these days. Though the World Health Organization has not yet declared the coronavirus a pandemic, they are very close. And I think Dr. Neumer is the perfect person to talk about the novel coronavirus. He received his undergrad biology degree from Harvard, his master's of science degree from London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, and his PhD in sociology from UC Berkeley. So he's very schooled in the subject. We really appreciate him being here. Last month, he was a guest panelist on UCI's Infectious Disease Science Initiative discussion, which is available on YouTube. And though it took place on February 10th, I found it to be a very relevant and excellent source of information about the COVID-19 virus. And just a note, you are welcome to send in emails if you have any questions that I will do my best to follow up on and, and ask those questions. And my email address is kboss at org. That's K as in Kilo, B as in Bravo, O-S-S as in Sierra, kboss at org. So with that, welcome, Professor Neumer. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Uh, you are very welcome. We really appreciate you being here. So, Professor, you know, where do we start? Uh, everything is evolving. You know, we, we had talked about weeks ago coming on the show, and then we're like, things are changing from day to day so quickly. Do you want to just open up? Yeah, let's, let's, let's do a sort of a broad overview. You know, everything that I'm going to say right now is, is to the best of my knowledge as of right now, which is, you know, the afternoon of, of Tuesday, the 10th of March and uh, 2020. So for, for anyone who may be listening to a podcast of this show at a later date, you should just know that this, this is a rapidly evolving situation. And th- this uh, recording represents, you know, our, our good faith expertise as of, you know, Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. But you asked where to start. Well, I think um, we can sort of start at the, at the start and then, and then move up. Uh, Move up, yeah. maybe. Uh, in in Wuhan, which is a large city of around 11 million people, in Hubei Province, which is in central China. And so that is a little bit bigger than Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. population-wise. It's yeah. very dense, though. Uh-huh. I've, I've, I've had the pleasure of, of visiting uh, Hubei, although not recently. Uh-huh. And it's, it's, uh, it's much smaller than Los Angeles in terms of its uh, physical area, but wow. it's, it's, it's very densely populated. H- have you been to that marketplace where... Uh, no. Yeah. No, I didn't go to any live food markets when I was in, when mm-hmm. I was in uh, Wuhan. When, when were you there? I was there in, uh, oh, a few years ago. I, I, I would say 2016 or something like that. Uh-huh. I, I have to check. W- were you there on... Uh, Pleasure or for no? Studies? Well, I was visiting uh, the the uh, Central China Normal University, where I have a uh, a collaborator um, oh. scientist. 
Uh, so I was there for, for, for work. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, so please. So, yeah. yeah. So, so a virus emerged in Wuhan in December of 2019. And it's a, it's a coronavirus and it probably jumped. Which is very interesting. Yeah. I only recently found out that a coronavirus is common, right? Well, there are, there's a, fa- if coronavirus is a whole family of viruses okay. and there's a, uh, my colleague Mike Bookmeyer at uh, the UCI Center for Virus Research might be someone you should have on a future episode because he is an expert on uh, the virology of cor- of coronaviruses. He, uh, in terms of the actual uh, molecular biology of how these viruses work, but there, there's a so there's a family of viruses called coronaviruses, and four of them actually cause the common cold, and then there there are some that cause uh, veterinary diseases. So. Um, Mouse hepatitis virus, for example, is a coronavirus. And then there's, there's two, uh, until recently, there have been two other coronaviruses known uh, to infect humans, in addition to the four different species that cause the common cold. And, and I understand that people that have cats will frequently have their cat vaccinated so that they don't give you a form of coronavirus. Is that? Uh, so? I'm, not su- I'm not sure, actually, okay. Uh, okay. about the veterinary uh, coronaviruses oh. and cat to feline to human transmission but uh in in addition to the four coronaviruses that cause the common cold there's uh the the mers the middle eastern respiratory syndrome coronavirus and the sars a severe acute respiratory syndrome coronavirus so the mers uh is a is a disease which um comes from camels uh to humans and it's it's not very it, it has caused some outbreaks but it hasn't really um, become epidemic the way uh, th- this one has, and then there's SARS, which is from 2003. Um, some of your listeners may remember the SARS outbreak in 2003, and that that causes a like a respiratory syndrome uh, of quite some severity, a lot like uh, what we're seeing now, although there are some important differences. SARS was more deadly by far than what we're seeing now. Uh, SARS had a a fatality rate of about eight percent, and uh, coronavirus, the current the cur- current COVID nineteen as it's as we're calling it is uh, is much lower than that. But the COVID nineteen has spread far more than SARS did in the summer of two thousand three. The Northern Hemisphere summer of two thousand three is when SARS spread from uh, from China and and Taiwan to Canada and. Uh, and there was a big epicenter of transmission in Toronto, but it was it was contained. And if 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 you're listening and you haven't haven't heard of the 2003 SARS outbreak, that's because it was contained. And so what's happened here is um, the coronavirus. This this one seems to be more transmissible than SARS, but also is milder. And that's probably those two factors are probably related because the SARS coronavirus from 2000. Um, three would attack its its infectees, you know, very severely, and they would wind up in the hospital. And in the hospital, you can be isolated in a in a in a in a room with, you, you know, uh, where your your oxygen isn't your the the air isn't being recirculated to other rooms and so on. Pre- precautions can be taken, and and it's because the disease can be recognized so early because it's so severe. Whereas this coronavirus is is actually seems to be mild for a lot of people, and so. Therefore, it doesn't uh, raise the alarm bells as much. But because it's been mild for a lot of people, it can spread more. And it's spread 
uh, to many countries mm -hmm. because you can get on a flight thinking, oh, I just have a sniffle. And then, you know, it's not like, oh, I don't have SARS because I'm not, you know, I don't have a pneumonia. I just have a sniffle. So it has spread to mm. a, a large number of countries. Y you mentioned that the WHO hasn't called it a pandemic. Uh, and that is true as of as of right now, as of uh, the 10th of March. Uh, it is it is a declared PHEIC, which is a WHO uh, declaration. It, that stands for Public Health Emergency of International Concern, PHEIC. So it is a PHEIC, even though it is not uh, officially in the eyes of the WHO a pandemic. But we we don't need to really split hairs about, oh, it, it, is it a pandemic or is it just a widespread outbreak? I mean, these distinctions aren't super important. And let me exp explain why these distinctions aren't super important. And that is that um, a pandemic is really a global spread of a new infectious disease. And an, an epidemic is a spread of an infectious disease with, you know, the, with the geographic scale kind of unspecified. And so what your listeners need to know is, you know, is there something I need to prepare for um, as regards an epidemic? And the answer is yes because there is COVID in the United States and it is epidemic in the United States. And so whether we, you know, spend our time debating whether it's, you know, a pandemic or an epidemic is really pointless. People listening to this broadcast, uh, not only here in Southern California, but streaming on the web and basically listening to this broadcast in almost any country uh, need to be uh, pre preparing and prepared for an epidemic. And we need to just put aside the, these debates about whether or not it's a pandemic because it doesn't matter. People need to prepare. And we should probably say a little bit more about what they should prepare, prepare for. Please, go ahead. Yeah, so, because we, we talked about how it emerged in December in, in Wuhan and we talked about how it has spread worldwide and how it's now in the United States, but uh, w what is it? It's a virus that causes um, a, a wide variety of symptoms. It's a respiratory virus. That means it infects the respiratory tract. So the respiratory tract is everything that you breathe in and out of. So your your nose, your mouth, your uh, your tracheas and bronchi, your your windpipes and your lungs. So everything that you breathe in and out of is is your respiratory tract. So uh, you can get infected by uh, breathing in these viral particles. Um, through through your nose or mouth, and or you can also get infected by uh, touching your face because uh, if if a doorknob has um, virus on it and you touch the doorknob, then uh, you touch your face uh, or eyes, the virus can enter uh, that way. And and by touching your eyes, it gives your the virus access to the tear ducts and the tear ducts go down it drain down into the respiratory system so so it's important not to touch your eyes or your face and and wash your hands and the reason why people have been saying that i'm, I'm sure a lot of the listeners have heard uh, wash your hands wash your hands wash your hands and they've also heard that this is a respiratory virus and you know the hands are not part of the respiratory tract but it's because we have a habit of touching our face Everyone does it. All humans do it. It's just natural. Yeah. Um, we, we touch our face and we, we rub our eyes and the virus can, can uh, scoot down the, the tear ducts and enter the respiratory system. And so, um, you know, you can't stop breathing, but you can wash your hands. And so that's why people have been saying 
have been saying, wash your hands. Um, let me just say t- two other things. First of all, the virus um, can survive on a doorknob. Uh, we think the uh, the coronavirus can uh, under under sort of under ideal conditions could survive up to nine days on a surface. Now, in in, in real world conditions, it prob- it probably survives a lot less than nine days on a on a doorknob, but oh. uh, it can survive certainly for hours on a doorknob. So anyone who has been um, has been blowing their nose and then touching a doorknob, or or coughing into their hand and then touching a doorknob, uh, can deposit viral particles on the doorknob, which can, which can then be uh, an infectious dose for for someone else who touches that doorknob. Um, but it is but it is not spread just by hand washing. So um, social distancing is another thing that people can do. Um, because I, I said a few moments ago, you can't stop breathing, but you can wash your hands. But mm-hmm. another thing you can do is is not go to really crowded events. Mm-hmm. And I know this is people are um, Crow- people, crowded event oriented. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, people. You know, you know. Especially like, when you're young. It's like Yogi Berra says, no one, no one goes there anymore. It's too crowded. Right? <laughs> so I mean, I, I mean, I mean, people like to go to yeah. to crowd events. And in Italy, um, where they have uh, a large uh, outbreak of, of COVID-19. Uh, all sporting events are now TV cameras only, no crowds. Mm-hmm. So um, every sporting event nationwide in Italy is TV cameras only, no live audience. Uh, that's downhill skiing, soccer matches normally played in stadia of 60,000 people and so on are all just done before TV cameras, no live audience. Why? Because you don't want 60,000 people crowding into, you know, a, 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 an Italian f- football, as they call it, stadium, and uh, interacting, you know, with each other, you know, at very close quarters. You know, they can all wash their hands at halftime if, if they want, but it, it's still, it's, that's not social distancing. That's everyone, you know, breathing on one another. Mm. And um, so, you know, that, and, and we're going to be seeing... Um, Similar stuff in the USA. I, I, I saw a statement that uh, the NBA um, is looking at something similar. I mean, they haven't made an announcement yet, right. but they have put out a press thing that says that they're examining this. Also and Major League Baseball. Ma- yes. There you go. And also the NCAA, you know, what's coming up, mm-hmm. Kevin? Do you know? March Madness. March Madness, <laughs> right. Uh, and so, you know, funnily enough, um, March Madness has been linked uh, at least once before to outbreaks of disease. In 1983, there was a uh, outbreak of measles on several college campuses, including the University of Houston. Oh, wow. and do you know who won the NCAA? Do you know who went really deep and I and I believe won the NCAA basketball tournament uh, in 1983? Could it UCLA? <laughs> Akeem Olajuwon. Oh um, man, you got me there. I should I should know that, but yeah. I don't. Yeah, the University of Houston. If I'm not okay, I, I, I have okay. To, I see. In any case, they went deep that year, and uh, uh, and there was measles cases because uh, kids were getting together. And uh, in 1983, there was um, there was more measles than there is now. I know measles has also been in the news a lot. Mm. We can. I'll come back on your show in the future and talk about measles. But wow. Okay. Um, Anyway, so these sporting events are, are sort of known to be uh, events where, you know, diseases, respiratory viruses can spread, and there's documentation, documentary evidence of that. So, so you know, washing your hands is, is something 
that people have been talking about a lot because it's easy to do and it's it's just like it's trivially easy to just get in the habit of washing your hands as soon as you get home but it's not the only thing i mean hand washing alone is not going to stop this epidemic um Mm. and so we've talked about hand washing we've talked about uh that it started in china let's um say a few more things about about exactly what this is. I said it was a respiratory disease. Okay. For a lot of, some people may be totally asymptomatic. So some people can get infected and then their immune system will clear the infection and they, they won't even notice. Some, for some people, this will be a, a cold, a common cold, like a runny nose for a few days, maybe a cough. Mm-hmm. For some people, for a lot of people, this will include a fever and uh but we're we're recognizing now that not all people infected with covid will will be febrile not everyone will have a fever there'll be a real diversity of symptoms um and for for the more severe cases there will be a fever and in the most severe cases pneumonia so infection of the lungs so going from an upper respiratory tract infection the the nose runny nose and throat sore throat to a uh, lower respiratory tract infection so uh, when when the lungs are infected and for a lot of those more severe cases hospitalization will be required and uh, let's get on to the subject that everyone always wants to know about the fatality rate right, um, right. you know excuse me just for a second sure. professor while i update um for those of you who joined us late and i can't believe how fast the time is flying by it, you're listening to uci conversations i'm your host kevin bossenmeyer and my guest today is uci associate professor of public health dr andrew neumer he's a population health scientist and knows a lot about infectious disease and pandemics like the coronavirus if you have any questions for dr neumer uh, please send your emails in to k boss k b o OSS at KUCI.org, and we'll do our best to answer those questions. And, and now back to Dr. Neumer. Um, and we have a few uh, sent-in questions, uh, Professor, so just... Le- let, let me finish my sure. thought about the fatality. Please. <clears throat> and yeah, and everything I'm saying is sort of current as of uh, Tuesday, the 10th of March in the, in the afternoon. So this is a very fast-moving situation, and, uh, and anyone who's... Uh, thank you listening via podcast at a, at a future date. Thank you for tuning in and uh, and make sure you get the, the most up-to-date information. So I was just saying about the fatality rate. Uh, the case fatality rate uh, seems to be around 1%. Now, um, that means that 1% of people with clear clinical uh, cases uh, seem, to, seem to die of this disease. Now, that doesn't mean that 1% of everyone who will be infected uh, will die. That means that one percent of people who who present as cases. So one percent of people who, you know, who get really sick will will die. Um, and people who who have like an asymptomatic infection and who are infected and they don't even know it yet, they're not included in that one percent. So the the per, the infective fatality rate, the the, per, the percentage of people infected who will die is mu- is much lower than one percent. But one percent is, um, I mean, it's 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 up there it's it's uh it's 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 more than a seasonal flu it's less than the sars from 2003 mm-hmm. it seems to be highly age related in italy mm-hmm. the average age of all the deaths was is 81 according to some recent data so mm-hmm. senior citizens elderly people seem to be the people who who are most affected 
in terms of severe disease. You know, I said, I said this can be anything from a totally asymptomatic infection to a cold to, to a severe infection requiring hospitalization to death. Mm-hmm. That's a very broad range of outcomes. The more severe outcomes seem to be among senior citizens. And in Italy, the average age of those who died of the COVID uh, is 81 years. So um, have you seen that before? With I mean, it, ma- well, it makes sense that diseases can affect older people more. Um, that's a very typical pattern. Um, and, you know, I mean, older, uh, the, the immune system as we, as we mature and enter our, our golden years, uh, the, the immune system uh, declines in its ability to function perfectly. So mm-hmm. we do see that infectious diseases and, in fact, and, all, and virtually all causes of death increase with age. So in, in, in your typical flu year, um, you know, it's the same thing. The older you get, the more likely you are to die from flu. It's partly, be, partly because, you know, well, it's the, it's the same reasons. The immune system declines. Now, um, what was interesting was in 2009, we had a flu pandemic of H1N1 influenza, and it turned out to be a rather mild flu pandemic. Mm. But in 2009 senior citizens actually experienced what for them it was a normal flu year in terms of severe severe outcomes hmm. but but younger people people in their 40s experienced a, a much worse than average flu year compared to normal and so your listeners might wonder well why didn't i hear about this and and how is that possible yeah but the reason you didn't hear about it is because normally people in their 40s and 30s have such a low rate of severe complications to flu that that even doubling that number doesn't really get you a whole lot of cases because you're talking about a very small number of people normally who in that age group mm-hmm. who who have severe cases of flu so when you increase that number you're increasing a very small number but the the data showed that severe cases of flu in, in 2009 were unusual among younger people but not older people and that's because Older people have been getting flu their whole life, and they have a, a, a this huge dossier of immune memory from different flu strains that they've had throughout their whole life. And even though their immune systems are in decline, the 2009 epidemic of flu was interesting because it was the return of H1. It was a, it was a different strain of H1, but it was H1. It was a flu we had seen before. It wasn't a totally new flu. It was a relative of what we had had before. So older people with more experienced immune systems, actually, for them, it was like a normal flu season because even though it was a new strain, it was a strain that, w- that they had cross-protection to. But younger people, even though younger people really don't get severe, except for, except for infants, don't get severe outcome to flu, um, those younger people didn't have a lifetime's worth of immune experience with flu. And so for them... Uh, they uh, they had severe outcomes. So mortality in two thousand nine was pretty mild, and we we really we really got off like we got let off in two thousand nine. Like we 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 kind of skated through the two thousand nine flu pandemic with, without too many severe outcomes. But if you if you look at the numbers, it's it's actually younger. It's, it's actually middle aged people who died more than usual. But there there just weren't enough of those deaths that everyone was like. Mm. Every, you know, most of your listeners won't remember 2009 as this great calamity, mm-hmm. uh, and it's because the numbers were small. But if you if you look at those numbers very carefully, 
and studied them statistically, you see that the, those, among younger people, those numbers were elevated. Hmm. The thing about this new COVID, the, the, the official name of the virus is SARS-CoV-2. Uh, so SARS, severe acute respiratory syndrome causing coronavirus type 2. Anyway, the new th- the new but thing they, about- they seem to be commonly referring to it now as COVID COVID two, uh, nineteen COVID nineteen right? nineteen referring to the year in which it emerged two thousand nineteen and COVID meaning coronavirus. Gotcha. Uh, and the thing about this the COVID is it's not like the two thousand nine flu. It's brand new. It's really it's really quite uh, distant re- related to those other four types of coronavirus. So it's not like oh the elderly people have all this lifetime of 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 getting flu every every uh, winter, and so that you know they've got all these antibodies to different, and that's why in two thousand nine the elderly actually did okay. Uh, in in two thousand twenty, in twenty twenty, right now, the elderly people, nobody, basically nobody has antibodies to this flu. Nobody's seen this, this COVID. Nobody has seen this before. It's brand new. It's new for all of us. And when it's new for all of us, it reverts to the usual situation of those who have the weakest immune systems are the ones who are going to be the most severely affected. Who is that? It's going to be um, people who are immunocompromised for some reason who, and, and the, el- the most elderly who, who just have natural uh, immunocompromised compromised situation as part of the aging process. Um, typically, infants um, don't have the strongest immune system because their immune system is still developing. And for uh, the first few, for a few weeks, people were saying, well, kids don't seem to be getting this at all. And uh, the new data show that children do get COVID. So everyone can get this. Mm. We don't we seem to be seeing the severe... Uh, infections in children in terms of hospitalizations, thank goodness. But um, so the people really at the greatest risk are uh, people who are immunocompromised and the elderly. Gotcha. Okay. Are you, are you ready to take some questions? A- absolutely. I'd love to take questions from your listeners. Great. Uh, from a student, she asks, um, how can I keep an immune compromised family member safe? That's that's a good. That's a great question. So, in addition to uh, talking to uh, their healthcare provider, um, be, because that that the healthcare the people are immunocompromised for different reasons, and the healthcare pr- provider will know. I should have also said that um, you know, pe- uh, well, pe- their healthcare provider will know the, the the most number of details about about the particular situation of a person. But people who are immunocompromised should socially distance themselves. I mean, they should. So, I mean, you, you know, some, some of us in, enjoy, um, you know, eating out, uh, several times a week because, uh, there's lots of places, great places to eat in Orange County that aren't, aren't very expensive. And, um, and you know, it's, it's fun to try of uh, f- different mm-hmm. food, but mm-hmm. you know, when, when we eat out, we interact with a lot of people versus just staying at home, and cooking our own food, you know, we can uh, we don't interact with very many people when we do that. So, especially for someone who's immunocompromised, but this is something increasingly that all of us should think about: is just eat at home. Because instead of eating out a few nights a week and exposing yourself to to mixing with lots of people a few nights a week, go to the supermarket once and stock up on food for the week, and then you're only interacting once mm-hmm. with a bunch of people, and then mm-hmm. everyone can just eat at home from the food 
that was purchased on that single trip to the grocery store. Now, uh, there's a few um, things worth mentioning here, and that is one that's, you know, this is going to be difficult for small business owners who maybe own a restaurant. And so um, I, I don't give this advice, uh, you know, lightly. And, um, you know, before all is said and done here, um, you know, there's going to be impacts, not only health impacts, but socioeconomic impacts on people. And, uh, you know, it gives me no joy to say, oh, don't, don't eat out, you know, cook, cook at home. But eating, eating your own cooked food is, is, is a really easy way to, to socially distance yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing I wanted to say is like an analogy to um, we, we, we've been talking about epidemic flattening. And what is that, and, and why is that important? Mm-hmm. So, and just before we get into that, sure. Doctor, um, when you do make that one trip to the grocery store, is it a good idea to wear nitrile gloves? Um, I, I think we're not there yet. Okay. Um, and, I mean, it's tricky because, you know, as more and more people get this, there will be people, you know, who – who've been out and about in public who had, who were, who were infected. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, not only the doorknob of, of, uh, you know, some concert venue in which, in which a thousand people went through, but a doorknob of a, a small grocery store, you know, could mm-hmm. in theory have, you know, a Shop, bar, yeah. shopping cart. Yeah. Right. So, um, I, I mean, I think if, but wearing natural gloves, you know, it's not called for, uh, at this point in time, I wouldn't say, because, um, you know, you know, a lot of places have have wipes that you can disinfect mm-hmm. a super, uh, super shopping cart with, uh, and you can wash your hands. Uh, you can use hand sanitizer with sixty percent alcohol content. You can wash your hands as soon. Everyone should get in the habit of washing their hands as soon as they get home. Get home, put down the keys, wash your hands with water and soap for twenty seconds. The first thing you do when you get home is wash your hands. The thing about the natural gloves is. Uh, if you if you touch a doorknob and then touch your face with your gloved hand, it 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 it, it doesn't matter. Uh, the virus will not enter your body through through the unbroken skin on your hand. It's re- the problem with your hand is that you use your hand to touch your face, mm-hmm. and so um, you know hand. So you know you can put a glove on, and then if you accidentally rub your eye, you know it just basically doesn't matter that you were wearing a glove anymore. Gotcha. And so the the advantage of the uh, you know what a glove does is you can take it off and then you know, underneath your hand is, is clean. But when you get back to your car, you can use hand sanitizer. And when you get home, you can wash your hands for 20 seconds, uh, with, with soap and hot, and hot water. So, you know, I'm, okay. I'm not, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to socially distance myself and I'm trying to practice the best, uh, non face touching and hand hygiene that I can, mm-hmm. but uh, I am not wearing gloves when I go to the grocery store. And mm-hmm. so, um, that's probably you know the best way I can answer answer that question. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it's um, so. Yeah, so socially distancing. I mean, one. Th- let me talk about epidemic flattening for a second. Okay. So the the epidemic's like a wave. It's gonna it's gonna peak and then it's gonna then it's gonna crest and then it's gonna dissipate. And the thing is, you know, in the next twenty four months or so, you know, people are estimating that around seventy percent of the world's population will will get this. Uh, infection for for most of them it will be very mild you know a lot of them may be totally asymptomatic some of them it may be have a cold you know I I think we can all deal with getting a cold sometime in the next two years so it's not it's not cause to panic but 
But there are those cases. There is that tale uh, of the distribution of people who will get sick and will need to be in a clinical setting, in a hospital with with respiratory therapy, in some cases with uh, with oxygen in, in cases, and in isolation from other patients. And so um, hospitals do not have huge surge capacity. Mm-hmm. I mean... They have surge capacity, but it's not enormous. Mm-hmm. And Orange County has a population of five or six million people, mm-hmm. and you know what's a lar- you know a large hospital is two thousand beds, mm-hmm. and so you know and there are a number of large hospitals in Orange County, but there's not one on every block. So you know you can you can do the math. We don't have the capacity to hospitalize, you know, everybody. So so, so what does that mean? So it means we need to f- stretch out the curve and make uh. it broader, but less. Steep. Steep, less tall. Makes sense. So so that the number of people at any given time in the next two years who need respiratory therapy and need oxygen is is manageable. And so that's what social distancing does. It lowers the, the speed with which mm-hmm. we are all interacting with one another. Imagine a glass of milk and add 10 drops of red food coloring to that milk. And then stir it with a spoon. What do you get? You get like pink milk. Pink, yeah, it's like strawberry milk, except mm-hmm. not maybe not as tasty, right? Yeah. So, what we want to do? The milk is society. The milk is all of us. Mm-hmm. the 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 drops of food coloring is the COVID virus. What we want to do is remove the spoon, because that that milk will still turn pink eventually if you just let it stand, because those food coloring drops will dissolve and they'll spread around but they won't turn pink right away if you remove the spoon if you don't stir and so what we want to do right now is not stir and not mm-hmm. stir meaning means changing our behavior not going out in public as much as we used to mm-hmm. um, we don't need to you know uh, mm-hmm. stay in, indoors all day we can go for a walk in the fresh air but we don't need to go you know, Coachella just moved uh, from uh, a few weeks from now till October. Mm. South by Southwest, a large music and arts festival in Austin, Texas, uh, has canceled this year. You know, South by Southwest is a crowd of people. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. those same people can just enjoy a walk in the park, you know, keeping, you know, some distance from other people. They don't need to all go to South by Southwest or they don't need to all go to Coachella. That's social distancing. That's removing the spoon from the, the the glass of milk with the red food coloring in it so that we don't turn it into strawberry milk right away. Gotcha. Professor, um, the, the, the sobering statement that I hear you saying, um, 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 a lot of them, but um, that this whole process may take a couple of years. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I don't say that to be sensational or we're, we're just having a conversation um is it difficult is it difficult to to say um i mean here's the thing this is a novel virus and it spreads D- does that mean new new you, yes okay. sorry okay. this is a new virus it, sp- it spreads the way the common cold does mm-hmm. and you know if if you if you look for um I mean, everybody eventually gets the common cold. And if you look for immune uh, antibody signatures to different types of rhinoviruses and and viruses that cause the common cold, um, most people will have those. 
It's because we all get the common cold or we're all exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And the coronavirus, you know, and so the reason why you don't get the cold every every month is because your body builds up immunity. Mm. And sometimes over years that immunity will wane. So you can maybe get the same cold twice, like separated by years. Uh, but you don't get the same cold twice separated by days because your body mounts an immune response and you don't, and you, and you don't get the same cold again next month because the immune response is durable. Mm. And so some infections cause lifelong durable immunity. Mm. So, I mean, typically you don't get chicken pox twice. Um, measles uh, creates an even stronger immune response. It's basically unheard of to get measles twice. Mm. So, um, I mean, the best thing people can do to protect themselves from measles is to get the measles shot. But if if they do get measles, they won't get it a second time because of this immunity. But um, the coronavirus can infect all of us because none of us have this immunity to it because it's new. It, it was circulating in in wildlife. We're not exactly sure, um, you know, what what critter uh, ha- had the, this strain before now, but. Uh, it was circulating in some wild mammal, and it jumped the species barrier. Um, and so we're all susceptible to it. And so, you know, it, over the next two years or so, you know, we're all going to, well, I shouldn't say all, but estimates are up to 70% of people will will get this coronavirus. And for most of us, it will be a cold. But there's just nothing to that's going to, I mean, short of a vaccination, nothing is going to prevent us from all or 70% of us or so from getting this because it spreads like the cold. And we all, we know that all of us get colds Mm -hmm. and we're all susceptible to this. Now, let me say something about um, the vaccine. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are wondering. Mm -hmm. Uh, And again, everything I'm saying is current as of Tuesday, March 10th. So this is a super uh, quickly moving situation. So in terms of, if I say numbers in terms of, uh, estimates of infected or whatever that these numbers are changing constantly, mm-hmm. but they are working on a vaccine. It will take, you know, t- approximately two years to, to, de- to develop, test, validate and produce a, a vaccine with the production happening. Of course, only if the, if the tests show that it works, um, you know, t- and are these vaccines, is it, are there multiple companies or multiple universities? Well, r- right now, uh, research institutes and uh, and companies are are all sort of racing to develop a a, a vaccine for this. Uh, the NIH had a lab working on it, and you can be sure that the pharmaceutical companies are working on it. It will take it will take a while. I mean, t- I mean, two years may be slightly um, pessimistic. We'll all be delighted if you know if if they if they beat that. Mm. But um, you know, we there there, there uh, a vaccine is not imminent. Okay. Social vaccine is not, social distancing is what is going to matter here. A vaccine is not going to uh, just appear next next week. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention is because we've, we've we've mentioned um, some other countries. We've mentioned China. We've mentioned Italy. I mean, and we talked about is it a pandemic? And one thing I think it's important for everyone to know, and I'm and I'm sure KCI listeners um, already are aware of this, but it's important important not to stereotype uh, about uh, people and the the virus. This virus is spreading in the United States. There are infections now in many states. I, I would imagine by the end of next week, there'll be infections in all 50 states plus the District of Columbia. And 
you know, there, there's no reason to assume that based on someone's appearance that that they're likely to be, um, you know, infected with the coronavirus. Uh, there have been some media reports about stereotyping and, um, you know, the, vi- the virus uh, did emerge in, in, in Asia and, and there have been media reports about stereotyping Asian Americans and people of, of Asian descent and, and, and what have you. And the, anyone can, can, can get the coronavirus. Anyone, if they sneeze and cough in public can spread the coronavirus. And there is, there are chains of transmission of coronavirus in the United States today. This is not, you know, and, and there have been cases introduced from, from Italy and elsewhere. This is, this is a, a problem for all of us. And it's just something you know, there's no, um, we just need to not stereotype, uh, in terms of anyone's, uh, ethnic background and, and their likelihood of, of being infectious. Gotcha, gotcha. Thank you, Professor. It, just as a reminder to listeners who weren't here at the opening, um, you're listening to UCI Conversations. I'm your host, Kevin Bossenmeyer. My guest is UCI Associate Professor of Public Health, Dr. Andrew Neumer. He's an ex- expert on pandemics and can answer many questions you have. If you want to, at the last minute here, get in with uh, uh, email questions, you can send them in to kboss at u- KUCI.org. That's K-B-O-S-S, KBOSS at KUCI.org. We actually have another question that just came through, and it, uh, of course, oh, here we go. Um, I think it's another, it may be from a staff member. I wanted to know whether the weather and the rains here in Southern California make the coronavirus any more contagious. Can you address that, Professor? Yes, that's a great, that's a great question. So, um, Atmospheric conditions actually can influence the spread of viruses, believe it or not. Maybe not on a on a sort of micro level time scale, like if it if it starts to rain now and but um, the the flu virus is is less transmitted during the summertime, and we um, we're not exactly sure why. To be honest, uh, there's a lot of competing hypotheses, and there are different camps. So there there are, there are people who firmly believe that it's this or that or the other thing, but we don't really understand exactly why the flu season is during the winter time. And people, people always say, well, it's because it's cold in the winter time. Yes, it's cold in the winter time, but it's not exact. That's not what causes it because they have flu in Hawaii. They have flu in Miami and, um, they have flu in the tropics and like in Singapore, they have flu. So, um, in, um, in hot places, they have flu. And these viruses seem to follow their own epidemiology in the temperate zones in the in in, in the northern hemisphere and and in the parts of the southern hemisphere where they have four seasons. So the epidemiology of of these respiratory pathogens in in the in the USA is is not really directly comparable to that of of like Singapore and and so Singapore you know is has has covid transmission and it's and it's hot there so you can't just say well it's going to be hot in july and that will make it go away but mm. but it but um there does seem to be a sweet spot for humidity for viral transmission because when it's very dry um particles uh get smaller and smaller through desiccation because they lose the droplets that are spread from a, a cough or sneeze they sort of evaporate basically from mm. the from the dryness, mm. and when when it's too humid, when it's very humid, the particles actually absorb 
moisture and they grow in size and then they and then they sink through gravity mm. so there is kind of a sweet spot of absolute humidity in which different viruses uh have their ideal transmission conditions and so it's possible that um the summer in the northern hemisphere will bring uh, a relief in terms of it will lower what epidemiologists call the force of transmission. It will lower the intensity of, of the spoon. The, the spoon being, you know, not the spoon that we can control, but the spoon that's controlled by other factors, right? Mm-hmm. So it's possible that summer will give us a break, but it's it's important to note also that sometimes when you have a new virus, because everyone is so susceptible, no one has any antibodies yet. Mm-hmm. It just sort of picks up steam you know, all on its own. And, you know, we're, we're heading into it. We're sort of mid-March and we're, we're almost mid-March and we're heading into April. And, you know, we'll find out very soon if, if, if the change of seasons is going to give us a help. But we, shouldn't, we should hope for it but not expect it. Mm-hmm. Because if we, if we expect it, then it means it's, we're taking energy away from our planning for this mm-hmm. pandemic. And the other thing that's important to note is that if if summer gives us a break, it's very likely that it will come back in the fall. In 2009, the epidemic of novel influenza, emerged, new influenza, emerged in April. It took a break for the summer for some of the reasons I, I said. But it came back in October. And the flu season that, that year was uh, unusual. It, it affected, as I said, more young people than typical. But it was also earlier than usual. It, it was sort of October, November. December, not the typical sort of December, January, February. So, uh, and in 1918, there was an early wave of, which was the big, deadly uh, influenza pandemic of 1918, which is sort of like the worst case scenario for any pandemic. 2.5% of the world's population died in 1918. That will not happen now. But in 1918, there was a spring wave of flu, and then it went away, and then it came back really hard in the fall. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, the weather can actually play a role and, and we're heading into spring and the weather can play a role in, in, in a way that will help us, that will give us breathing time. But I would predict that, uh, so it, there's, there's a lot of discussion among ep- epidemiologists don't agree about whether or not spring will help us. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I tend to think we might catch a break with spring, but I, I'm not betting on it. And, mm-hmm. There are colleagues of mine in the infectious disease business who who have serious doubts about that. We shouldn't, we should hope for it, but not mm. expect it. And even even I, who 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 are a big proponent of the seasonality hypothesis, I need to say that it will come back in the fall. Mm-hmm. So it's not going to go away entirely. It will come back in the fall. So we if if we catch a break, and that's a big if. If we catch a break with the seasonality aspect. We need to use the time over the summer to steal our response. So mm-hmm. it's it's not over uh, if if we catch a break with the seasons. And so to answer your your the the email that came in, I mean, so atmospheric conditions can possibly play a role. But just because it's raining this afternoon in Southern California, it it doesn't make like an hour by hour uh, change in 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 anything that that you should that that we should we mm-hmm. should do um, mm-hmm. as the as the mm-hmm. days become 
longer and 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 drier and and a little warmer and people spend more time outdoors there's sort of a natural social distancing that happens and that may also play a role in the seasonality of flu but you know it you don't need to you know we need to social distance ourselves in the next few weeks and maybe maybe months we need to do that every day not just uh, it's raining today so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so you know as we're closing up here professor uh, what i hear you saying is um if we are going to make a difference with this virus that uh we are going to have to change our behavior not for a few weeks at the very minimum of uh, some months and maybe longer is is that a yes this is this is going to be i mean you can think of it like you think of the flu season i said you know december january february that's three months Hmm. um you know it's it's now figure march april may i mean Mm -hmm. uh it's just not gonna be a, a a two week thing i mean that that's actually one of the um common misperceptions i think i mean this is um i want to assure you know all the kuci listeners that this is not the new normal you know uh Mm. like it uh you know we're not going to spend the rest of our lives uh, washing our hands everywhere we go and you know and talking about social distancing this will go away so don't um you know don't don't freak out about that but uh but this is not going to be a two-week thing Mm -hmm. um this is not going to there two weeks from now there will probably still be some small cities in the US you know that haven't even recorded their first case yet and there will there will be you know so this is going to be 6 8 12 weeks mm-hmm. of of vigilance required this is you know this uh you, you know events are being canceled in uh in April, in April in some cases and right. and that that that's because the the people who are making the decisions there you know, realize that we're in, we're in this for kind of a slog. Yeah. Yeah. Professor, thank you very much for being with us today. I hope you'll come back. Thank you for having me. Your, your listeners can follow me on Twitter at Andrew Neumer. That's Andrew Neumer, N-O-Y-M-E-R, at Andrew Neumer. I tweet about, um, mostly, uh, well, nowadays mostly COVID, but I tweet about infectious disease in my work here at UC Irvine. Fantastic.